Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guests for this morning are Jay Hendricks and Carol Klein. Jay has served for more than 40 years as one of the major contributors to the field of relationship transformation and body-mind therapies. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and his books include Conscious Loving and The Big Leap. Carol has developed her career to teaching, writing, and speaking about consciousness and personal growth. She is the number one New York Times best-selling co-author of Happy for No Reason, Love for No Reason, and five books in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Gay Carol and I will be having a conversation about their remarkable life's journey and their soon-to-be-released insightful book, Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. Good morning, Gay. Good morning, Carol. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you two doing this morning? Just fine, Johnny. Thank you so much for having us on. Wonderful. Yes, thank you. It is a pleasure to have you both on the air with me. I am excited to learn more about you two and Conscious Luck. The book is very insightful, well-organized, and written. Congratulations on its release, which will be, I believe, next Tuesday, May the 12th, correct? That's right. Wonderful. Let us start by getting to know you two a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. So, Gabe, would you like to start off first? Sure, Johnny. Thank you. I was born down in Florida, down south in central Florida, in the part of Florida that's not around any beaches. It's more uh, alligators and swamps and orange trees, the part of Florida I was from. And uh, I spent my young life there up until I was in my 20s. And then I uh, ended up going to school in New England and then on out to Stanford to get my Ph.D. in counseling psychology. And then I went on to be a professor for 21 years at the University of Colorado teaching a couple of generations of uh, therapists and counselors how to work with people. Uh, then my wife and I had some magic happen. Uh, we, we wrote a book called Conscious Loving and um, in the late uh, 1980s, and we got a call from an up-and-coming young TV host named Oprah Winfrey, and she wanted us to come on her show, and so we we're on her show with uh, Conscious Loving, and then life has basically never slowed down in the past 30 years. So uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we uh, go around the world teaching relationship seminars. Katie and I have been uh, together now for 40 years, and uh, over the past 40 years we've co-authored 10 books together and been around the world 30-some times teaching uh, relationship seminars and body-mind seminars and uh, just uh, doing what we most love to do. Fantastic. That's beautiful. Carol? Yes, well, <laughs> that's a tough act to follow. I <laughs> I grew up in I grew up in New York, in Long Island, and I was a um, very happy child. I was thinking about it in the luck perspective, and mm-hmm. my luck was really good. I had a wonderful childhood, you know, fabulous parents, and then everything kind of took a turn when I was uh, a young teenager. My father died. My house burned down, my dog died, my bicycle got stolen. It was a bad time. And I think about that because it definitely had an effect on me. I went to a a small liberal arts college in the Midwest. I started meditating when I was very young. I think all of that sort of 
hard challenges led me to a look at what's beyond this. There must be mm-hmm. something that's bigger than these things that change, go up and down and up and down. So I became a meditator at 15 years old, went to a small liberal arts college in the Midwest in Iowa and stayed there for 30 years, met my husband there, um, started, uh, you know, I started writing there. I was an entrepreneur mm-hmm. from a very young age. I one of my <laughs> careers was buying and selling Amish quilts all around North America. I would visit Amish communities and buy quilts and dolls and then sell them to antique dealers. So I always had a very unusual and interesting life. In the late mid nineties, I started 1990s. I started writing. Um, I started writing chicken soup for the soul books and my story about luck, which we'll get into later really was sort of born there. I have mm-hmm. lived in Iowa. I lived there till about uh, eight, nine years ago, no, 15, 16 years ago. And I now live in Ojai, California, which was very lucky because I live in the same town as Gay Hendricks. And I have written books um, with Gay Hendricks, Jack Canfield, Marcy Shimoff, Lisa Nichols, um, and other really wonderful transformational leaders and motivational speakers. And it has been uh, a very exciting life. And this is my really first time being out in front with a book. Usually I just write the books and hand them off. And now I get Mm -hmm. to talk about this book and bring my life and perspective to the book. Very, very interesting. Gay, the score is (laughs) (laughs) 1-1. You guys are fantastic. I mean, those are the kind of things that people want to hear about ordinary people respectfully. And when I say that, doing extraordinary things in their life to make a difference in our global community. So you two are the epiphany of that. So thank you so much for that. When and how did you first discover the concept of luck? Okay. Ooh, that's a, that's a great question, Johnny. Well, for me, I actually got an introduction to it through a kind of an unusual event when I was a kid. I was 14 years old, and I went to a movie and next to me was sitting a guy I knew a little bit. He went to the same high school I was in, but I didn't know him real well. And so, but the funny thing happened was they were doing a drawing at the movie and where they were mm-hmm. putting all of our tickets into a goldfish bowl, and then they had somebody come up and draw it out. And they were giving away three prizes, but the top prize was actually pretty good. It was a wristwatch. And so Danny, the kid that was sitting next to me, leaned over and said, watch this, I'm going to win the watch. And I said, okay. And sure enough, they had the drawing, and they pulled out Danny's name, and he he got up and walked up and got the watch. And afterwards, I was saying, how did you do that? You know, I obviously wanted to know Mm -hmm. what the magic was. And he said, said, I always win lotteries and stuff like that. You know, uh, I just decided one day I was going to be lucky. And boom, that was the first time anybody had said to me that they could change the circumstances of their life by changing something in their mind. And that really hooked me. And uh, it took me 50 or 60 years to get around to writing the book about it, but that was the actual origin of it when I was in the ninth grade. Very, very interesting. That's wonderful. How about you, Carol? One of the things you mentioned in the book is that you were haunted by the idea of conscious (laughs) luck. Well, it's interesting because my epiphany was basically piggybacking on Gay's epiphany. I never thought about luck. I'm a word person, Mm -hmm. and if you look up the Mm -hmm. word luck, it basically is things happen that are apparently not related to anything you do. And so, of course, mm-hmm. I took the, the 
dictionary definition to heart. You know, I just accepted it. And when I read Gay's manuscript, because this manuscript was given to me to look at in 2000, I think late 2011 or early 2012. And Gay had started a manuscript about this, and I had never thought that your luck could be conscious. So my, I read that story that Gay just talked about, because it's in the first part of our book, which mm-hmm. was in the original manuscript, and I was blown away. And I, I just thought, now wait a second, how could it be that just deciding to be lucky? And he has, obviously, it's not just that, that's the first step and one of our first secrets. But it was so impactful for me to think that luck was not a black box that you couldn't see what happened inside and it came out one way or the other. But in fact, you could open that black box and you could affect what happened. So, um, you know, my story with Gay is that he gave me the manuscript. I said, wow, this is great and it needs more work. And he said, "Mm, you know, I'm busy. I'm writing a detective (laughs) novel now. And Gay has had a wonderful run. I love his detective novels. And who was I to argue? And he said, yeah, I'm just going to put that on the back burner. So for years, we would run into each other. And Gay would, I would say to Gay, what's happening with conscious luck? And he'd say nothing until one day. Because honestly, this is a, I also had an epiphany when I read a quote by a woman named Tina Selig, who is a professor at Stanford. And she said, people think of luck as a lightning strike, isolated and Mm -hmm. dramatic, when in fact it is a wind that's always blowing. And you have to build a sail. It's up to you to build a sail to harness it. And your sail is made up of your behaviors, your attitudes, your associations. So my luck journey was dramatic because it came about reading Gay's story and then listening Mm to this one paradigm-shifting quote. Very, very interesting. So... When you found out about that, I presume you start to sort of take inventory in retrospects, looking back and say, wow, these are the things that I positioned myself to. I created the lot, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> I looked back, at, you know, when thinking about these, I did think there was one moment there. You know, I don't know if everybody has this, but there's a moment. Gay was just saying his was that phone call, mm-hmm. part of it one part of his luck came from this phone call from an up and coming person named Oprah Winfrey. My Mm -hmm. happened when I had a moment of knee buckling fear um, where I could have not asked for what I wanted, but I did. I really summoned every bit of insane courage I could for about, you know, 10 seconds and asked Mm -hmm. what I wanted and got shot down and still came back and wasn't going to settle. So my conscious luck decision, my, the secret of conscious luck that changed my life, really put me on the road to being a New York Times bestselling author sitting here in Ojai, California, in the mo- one of the most beautiful places I've ever lived, and being a co-author. And, being, and that exactly why I got to write this book was almost the same formula. I, I called Gay Hendricks, and I asked him if I could help him with this book. And he mm-hmm. said, yes, I asked for what I wanted. Fantastic. Well, Gay, what's interesting is that in the kitchen, when you say would you taste this and see what you think and say, well, it's fantastic. It's great, but it need more salt. That's terrible, right? <laughs> so what made you decide that you needed a co-author for Conscious Life? Well, first of all, Carol is more than a, a co-author. She is a, um, a visiting angel that flits around the world doing good in various places. And so uh, I think of her as uh, uh, the kind of people that come into my life and then I say, I'm the luckiest person I know because I get to know people like Carol. 
So I, uh-huh. I've known Carol for a long time because we bump into each other at the farmer's market and everything, but also she and I and Jack Canfield worked on a book mm-hmm. together many years ago. So I kind of knew how um, skilled Carol was and how easy she was to work with. So, uh, But, yeah, it was that I had all these ideas, and I had – I had the first half of the book, how you know the ideas that I wanted to stress in it, but the second half of the book, is, as you know now from looking at the book, is mm-hmm. that it's really in, in two sections. The first part has a lot of the main core ideas, and then the second half is how to put it into practice, what the practical steps are. And so um, that's something that Carol really excels at. In reading the book, I have to tell you, it has a wonderful balance. It has a beautiful touch of both of y'all's personality, and it's that collaborative effort that you can really feel, and so that's wonderful. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Johnny. Can anyone change their luck, Gary? Oh, absolutely. Well, I see it all the time because we talk about these things in our seminars at the Hendricks Institute. But, uh, I mean, check it out for yourself. Anyone that's listening to this can just simply check it out for yourself. Just think, are there some people you know that you consider lucky and some people you know who consider themselves unlucky? And I bet every time when you think of that person, you can think of things about them that contribute to their luck or unluckiness. Like I was just talking about this yesterday um, with a friend of mine, and she was saying that she has a couple of relatives that she tries to do nice things for from time to time because she has more money than some of her relatives do. And Mm -hmm. she's noticed that they often aren't very appreciative of it, that they often you know, just say, oh, uh, but they don't ever really appreciate her for it or they find something wrong with the thing itself. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a way of, of being, a way of a mindset that makes you either predisposed toward good things happening or not. And so what I'm saying is that we're only one breath away from changing that. Even if you've gone around thinking of yourself as unlucky for the past 68 years, there's always a lot more time to come that you could be living as a lucky person. So it's an experiment that you can do on yourself that will only take you a second to do and then just simply watch the results. Very, very interesting. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, and Google Play. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guests for this morning are Gay Hendricks and Carol Klein. Gay has served for more than 40 years as one of the major contributors to the field of relationship transformation and body-mind therapies. He is the New York Times bestselling author, and his books include Conscious Loving and The Big Lead. Carol has devoted her career to teaching, writing, and speaking about consciousness and personal growth. She is the number one New York Times bestselling co-author of Happy for No Reason, Love for No Reason, and five books in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. We're having a conversation about their remarkable life's journey and their soon-to-be-released insightful book, Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. Carol, is it wrong for people to think and feel they are unlucky and somehow always given the short end of the stick? You know, that's a great question. And I I really focus on that word wrong when you said it. It's not wrong. It's not useful. 
I would say. And it's going to create in them, they, they've done so much research, research on luck. I had no idea there was a body of scientific <laughs> literature in positive psychology research about, you know, about luck. And when people think they are unlucky, they tend to do things. They, they tend to focus too tightly. Like there was a wonderful story that Richard Wiseman, who is a fabulous uh, researcher, he lives in England, and he was one of the first sort of pioneers of luck research in positive psychology. And he talks about a study he did where there were um, people who self-described as lucky and people who self-described as unlucky. Mm-hmm. And they were each, these groups of people were given a newspaper and they're supposed to count how many photographs were in there. And they were supposed to do it in a certain, you know, the quickest amount of time. And on average, the unlucky people, self-described unlucky people, took about two minutes and maybe, you know, some change to find the 43 pictures in this magazine. And the lucky people found (laughs) it in three seconds. And the reason was is there was a big, like, little box on the first, you know, the box in the first Mm -hmm. page that said, Stop counting. There are 43 pictures in this in article. And mm-hmm. what he said was is that people who are lucky tend to have their eyes open. They look at, they're much more uh, open to possibility, open to what's around them. And he said people who are unlucky, they just, they don't, they focus too tightly about what they want. They go to a party looking for a mate and they miss missing meeting the best friend they could possibly meet. They go to a job you know, definitely geared up for one, you know, job interview, looking for a, a certain position, and they don't, they miss that they were offered or they could do something else that would be better suited for their skills. There's a, a kind of tightness to an mm-hmm. unlucky person. They question themselves. They don't listen to their intuition. All the steps that we found, all the secrets of being lucky that you can do yourself, these people, people who are unlucky, who think of themselves unlucky, tend to close down. They contract. If they have a failure, they don't try again. They don't persist. So wrong, mm, wrong if you want success. It's just one of the things where you have your, your decision about your luckiness or unluckiness. This mindset is one mm-hmm. of the most core issues you need to deal with to be given, you know, to be given that chance to be lucky. Now, it's interesting because you know, you can look at your life and see the things that went wrong. I told you a litany of mine, but I also married the most amazing man and, you know, wonderful person. I live in a great place. Mm-hmm. I have wonderful friends. There's also good things. So, again, it's a matter of focus because there's no one who is always given the short end of the stick. There's always a longer end of the stick that they can see in their lives. You have to look for it and be open to receiving you have to look it. For it. Yes. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Well, how do we convince ourselves that we're born lucky? Well, I think one thing is that the kind of shift that we're talking about, the first half of the book really is about what we call core shifts, shifts you make Mm -hmm. down at the center of yourself, down where you really live, down from that place where you say, I do from sincerely if you're getting married or where – where you're really your most deep private self, if you can make a shift down there to genuinely even considering the idea that you could be luckier today than you were yesterday, if you can just admit a little bit of that idea into yourself, it begins to take root and grow. I always say every self-change project 
has to begin with a sincere commitment. And so we have some ways for people to do that in the book, how to make a commitment that really can propel you toward luck. Uh, but just at the very simplest, you know, think of, I commit to being luckier today than I was yesterday. It couldn't possibly do you any harm to make that commitment, yet it changes everything. It, it puts mm -hmm. you in a new space, literally. That's true. I mean, you have laser focus, but at the same time, you're casting a big net. Yes, you're, seeing, you're saying to yourself, I'm willing to look at the world as a place where amazing things could happen to me every moment. I always describe myself, um, I'm a pronoiac rather than a paranoid. Um, and, and, a, and a pronoid is a person who is secretly convinced that the universe is constantly conspiring to help me. Mm -hmm. And so that's my pronoid view of the world. And I like to look at the world that way because uh, that way I go through the world open to miracles happening, you know, real, real mm -hmm. life miracles. And mm -hmm. in my opinion, conscious luck also, Carol and I think of it as partly the ability to always be in the right place at the right time for the mm -hmm. ideal thing to happen to you. That's true. Very true. So what steps should we take to release ourselves from personal barriers? Yes, well, there's several. We can both chime in on this. But one of them is to understand mm -hmm. that almost all personal barriers are rooted in fear, a fear of some kind. Right. Sometimes maybe it's a fear that you don't feel adequate or a fear that you've done something wrong that you feel ashamed about a long time ago. It's a, maybe a fear that you're deeply unworthy. But whatever the fear is, the fears are, are things that need to be explored. We shouldn't shrink away from the things we're afraid of because if you explore them, then they can disappear and dissolve. So I've sat in my office with, well, 20,000 individuals and workshops and classes in my office over the years, as well as 4,500 or so couples. And so I've seen just about every problem, every which way come by. And I can tell you that so many of them can be dealt with by looking at underneath and finding out, hmm, what am I really afraid of here? What is the thing that has got its grip on me? Because if you can feel that and understand that and talk about that, you can often get yourself freed from a lot of old patterns that have been stuck there for years. That's true. Very, very true. By the way, I do want to let you guys know, in preparing for this interview, I went to your website, Conscious Luck, and printed the self-assessment tools and focus guide. And I did it. One of the things that came out was Section 5, Attitude Towards Shame. That was the lowest score that I had, which is 11. Actually, it's higher than what the guideline is, but that, that was my lowest score. And I mm. kind of get the message because that's something that I had to walk through myself to kind of overcome to put myself in the position of, I guess, in this case, positioning ourselves for luck. Yeah, that's a very good point, Johnny, that shame is one of those big, deep emotions that so many of us feel. I tell a bunch of stories about it in the book about my own personal version of it. But, uh, yeah, I think you mentioned earlier you were in Malaysia. And, well, my wife and I came down from Bangkok and took the train down through Malaysia a couple of years ago and explored mm -hmm. the countryside down there. And, um, and I, I found that uh, there's a lot of shame used in 
those cultures. So I, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. Um, I think that shame is, it's like guilt, but it's magnified. You know, mm -hmm. like they say, guilt is like a mosquito bite, but shame is something that it's kind of like hot water that you're standing in kind of thing. It's more of a whole body kind of a feeling. Um, but uh, the thing I'm, the point I'm making in the book, and I really hope people take a, a leisurely trip through it so they'll do the exercises, is that you can replant any field with a new crop. If you mm -hmm. feel, if you feel shame in your body, you can rededicate that field of energy to be an attractor field for conscious luck. And mm -hmm. so that's the point I really want to make, that even if you're full of shame, you can still use that shame to your advantage to attract conscious luck. I agree. And I want me, to chime in here. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, please, Carol. Go ahead. Well, yes. I just like you because I think that mm -hmm. what was so brilliant, uh, this was definitely a gay, um, a gay kind of in insight from mm -hmm. the original manuscript that I couldn't at, at first understand. And I think it has to do with most people try and tackle shame out of it, and it lives in your body. And that's the part that was so brilliant. And I think that's mm -hmm. why gay has been a pioneer in mind-body therapies, is that in, you, it's easier in some ways not to get caught in all the reasons that you feel shame, but to find it in your body. And then, as Gay said, there's a way, and he he had this experience himself and gives everybody in our book there is a technique where you can learn to take that shame that's basically squatting you know it's a, it's a, it's it's taking up real estate in your in your body <laughs> and you can you can plant a different crop there you can actually take that dark heavy place and lighten it up to be, it becomes light and and attractive to light mm -hmm. energies, to things like that. So it's a it's a really brilliant way because, as Gay said, if you start struggling with and wrestling with uh, shame, you'll wrestle with it the rest of your life. It will be happy to keep wrestling with you. But this is a much more uh, significantly powerful way to deal with shame as it's as it's lodged as energy in your body. Right. So true. Well, to me, there are two types of shame. One is that uh, what Gay had mentioned about and respectfully, not necessarily Ilston culture, I'm not really sure, but certainly when I grew up, the intentions are good, by the way. What happened is that we never compliment good stuff. It's when you do something wrong, that's when your parents tell you you did something wrong. If you do something good, you're not going to be really commended on it because they don't want your head to get too big. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's probably a multicultural thing because I grew up in the South in a third-generation Florida family, and uh -huh. nobody ever said anything positive to anybody else. You don't want right. to get and the big head. There you go. There you go. So before you know it, you have this invisible fans around you. And shame is not bad. It's in a way it's good because it established the baseline for you. And then the other side of the equation for myself was just the concept of, yes, okay, great. I was very successful right after college and so forth. And then when I came to Dallas with this high hope, all kinds of things to really on the right track. And then you had September 11 happen. Well, you know what? In business, you can prepare for everything, but you can't prepare for a terrorist attack, right? And then, of course, the other things that happened within myself was indecisions that paralyze you. Mm -hmm. 
And then before you know it, you are spiraling out of control in the sense that you have this belief that, well, things will turn, things will turn. But then when you hit rock bottom, then you realize, oh, my God, that's it. I'm so shameful of myself. So how do I get out of it? And it is a journey. What I love about what you just mentioned, both of you, is that, okay, fine, it's over with. Now pick up, let's go forward. And there are people out there you're going to run into, which one of the things that you address in your book, which was very beautiful, is that you got to find your tribe, the people that really understands you, that mm-hmm. support you. Don't hang around at people that continually bash you down. That's right. Yeah. We, call it, we call it finding your lucky tribe, finding mm-hmm. your lucky tribe, looking for those people that are luckier than you. See, I think it's really, I always want to hang around people that are smarter than I am <laughs> because <laughs> I think there might be something I could learn from. I think it, it was uh, Brian Tracy one time who said that your life is basically, your life is basically consists of the people you hang out with and the books you've read. Those are the two mm-hmm. major determinants of your life. And I really think there's a lot to that because if you look back, who is it that are the people that have really helped your evolution? And what are the books that have really helped your evolution? I can think of four or five of each of those that I wouldn't be here without them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another thing we need to do with our shame and other emotions is to in a way, be grateful for all of them because they all have a message to them. You know, like the message of shame. Right. Maybe I don't feel like I'm enough or I feel like I'm less than in some way. So that's a good thing to know about yourself, that you have that tendency inside. So you can then use the consciousness of that to help shape your interactions with people. You don't come from that place anymore. So a lot of people also think of... You know, there's that famous poster that says, the way out is always through. But what a lot of us don't realize is through means also going down inside through something, too. Mm-hmm. You know, to explore your shame, to make friends with your anger, to make friends with your fear, to open up to those things because they all have a message to them. And once we learn to hear the messages from our body and the deepest parts of ourselves, we have access to a whole new wealth of information that helps us move through the world more easily. Very true. Very true. You know, um, can I jump in? There was something yeah. you said, oh, yes, Johnny, certainly. and I really thought Gay could spread, could really shine some light on this because one of the personal barriers to luck is also feeling like um, it comes from the upper limit. We Some mm-hmm. people feel like luck means I didn't earn it or Mm -hmm. I don't deserve to be lucky, and things happen and they just self-sabotage their luck. And Gay wrote a book called The Big Leap, which I'm going to turn over now. And he he really has a wonderful way of explaining how the upper limits problem can also be not just our negative emotions, but sort of unseen thermostat that helps us, that Mm -hmm. doesn't let us go above a certain level of happiness. Gay? Yeah, I... In The Big Leap, uh, I coined this term called the upper limit problem, and I first started noticing on myself that I was trying to lose some weight at the time, and I would do very well for about three days, and I would drop five or six pounds or something like that in a few days, and then all of a sudden, I'd sabotage myself, and I'd mm-hmm. binge out on something, and so I caught myself doing that a bunch of times, and then I saw that I would do that um with my then girlfriend, I was still in graduate school at Stanford at the time, just finishing my PhD. 
And I, my girlfriend at the time, uh, I realized I did the same thing with her, that we'd get along well for a few days, and then something would happen. One of us would pick a fight, or we'd get into a snag of a communication snag about something, and then it would take us a couple of weeks to get over it. And so I realized <laughs> that I had an allergy to things going well for long periods of time. <laughs> and so I began to look into this allergy, and I mm-hmm. discovered that uh, at the time I was counseling a lot of uh, executives in what was then the burgeoning field over in uh, Silicon Valley, all the young mm-hmm. engineers that were tearing it up over at Intel and all of those places that were just getting underway. And they, they were some of the most brilliant people I'd ever met, yet they were often such emotional boobs. You know, they would have a big yeah. win at work, and they'd go home and torch it out with their wife all night long and uh, mm-hmm. ruin the mood. Or the other way around, they'd be getting well, things would be going well at home, and then they'd have a mess up at work. And so I begin to look at every problem in the context of, is this an upper limit problem? Is the person using this as a way of blocking themselves from moving into a new level? And so that's mm-hmm. what the big leap is all about. Very, very interesting. That's wonderful. Thank you for the insight. Carol, when does goal setting turn into lucky milestones? Oh, thank you. This is one of my favorite secrets in the book, one of our eight secrets, and it's a foundational secret. A lot of us do not think about our goals enough because our luck chases worthy goals. If you have mm-hmm. a cer- certain goals will actually attract luck to you. And when we were really you know, discussing this and looking at this, it turns out that the best goals that you have are ones that light you up, that are just really powerfully meaningful. You love doing them. The idea of having a life with, that these goals would create is just, you know, just where you live. It's beautiful. And they are meaningful to you. They give you a sense of purpose. So those are the two main types of goals for yourself that will create more luck in your life. But if you want to turbocharge those those goals that are goals that light you up and goals that meaningful to you, find goals that are those have those two characteristics and also that help other people. So, you know, I um my husband and I recently got a Tesla. And mm-hmm. my husband, this is one of his big goals in life. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really interesting. He's an electric car activist. He's very into, you know, this kind of green energy. Mm-hmm. And so partly, you know, it it lights him up to think about having a Tesla, the engineering of it, you know, and he, he finds it very meaningful that he can do something. But when we realized that it was setting a standard, it was something bigger than ourselves, that he was doing something to help the planet, that he was doing something that would show he put his money where his mouth was, you know, he voted with his pocketbook. It was very, it became a much, and all of a sudden that that Tesla, he'd been talking about it for two years, but when we finally looked at it in that way, we were both on board and we got that Tesla and really it just, it was amazing how it just fell into place. So that's my little example of, a kind of goal where it lights you up, it's meaningful, mm-hmm. and it helps other people. Very, very interesting. So what you're saying is that our luck can be measured in some ways. Measure it by the results you see, actually. That's the best mm-hmm. measure you can do is once you start adopting an attitude that, hey, I could be luckier today than I was yesterday. Once you mm-hmm. adopt that simple attitude and start looking for it, you'll see it everywhere, from parking places to all sorts of other areas of life. I I tell I don't 
did I tell this story in the book about the five minute stop that ended up making me a million dollars, Carol? I can't remember. <laughs> no, I got to hear this one. <laughs> oh yeah. Do, do we have time to tell to tell a quick yes. financial yes. conscious luck story? Yeah. Well, yeah. You, many years ago, at the start of the dot com era, back about ninety five, uh, yeah, around nineteen ninety five. We had a, an office in downtown Santa Barbara where we also had a big uh, seminar room, so a big 4,000-square-foot uh, space. And so one day I was out. I came in from the airport, and I was going home, but I had just five minutes to stop at the office. And so I stopped in at the office, and I just happened to be there during the five minutes that a young stockbroker had stopped in. And he knew my wife's parents, Katie's parents, and uh, he had this interesting thing that he was doing, but the parents didn't want to participate in it because they were kind of old-fashioned, and so he thought maybe he would talk to us about it. And so I just happened to be there at the same five minutes he was there, and my wife listened carefully to the pitch, which was basically to buy 10,000 shares of a stock in a company called Software.com, and it was a company that didn't even make a thing. It made a little algorithm that made email work better. And mm -hmm. so uh, uh, little did we know, though, that uh, we paid $3 for the stock and invested $30,000. And so that five minutes, I ended up getting a check back for him from almost a million dollars when the dot-com revolution happened a couple of years later. And so I often think, okay, if five minutes of an unusual little stop like that can make you a million dollars. What else can you do with life? You know, and so that that was a real. I was just beginning to formalize those ideas, these ideas that are in the book at that time. And so for me, it was a really good confirmation in the results of life of what was going on inside my mind. Very very interesting. That's really that. really very interesting. Yeah, Carol. I mean, yeah, do you have any also, stories well, like that? I well. <laughs> I have stories not exactly like that, but what I would say is one of the things that really leaps out at me that I, Gay had another story that made me think, our luck can be measured. Luck, there's a subjective and ob objective sort of mm -hmm. uh, aspect to luck. And Gay, that story is in the book, by the way. I didn't recognize it the way you framed it, but yes, it is about uh, when, you know, Gay put his shame, uh, you know, machinery to a better use inside his body and started attract, this was one of the big pieces that happened um, that we talked about. But, you know, a lot of times people we look at and we think they're lucky, they don't feel lucky. So right. I really think that the most important thing is that for you to feel lucky. And a lot of times that has a lot to do with our levels of gratitude. Um, and I'm a big proponent for gratitude. It's, you know, it is, it is mm -hmm. one of the panaceas of life. If you want to turn your life around, start looking at what you have, not what you don't have. <laughs> start being grateful. But there's a wonderful story that Gay tells about being in India. And he's sitting in a, it's a long time ago. I don't know, sometime maybe in the 80s or 70s, even earlier, Gay, you could correct me on that. doesn't really matter. He's sitting on a bank watching children across the bank of this river on the opposite bank, taking stones and walking up a hill in the hot sun to help build a temple. 
and he's thinking, oh, my gosh, those children, that's terrible. It's they're, they're, And he asked somebody, and they're making like a rupee 10 cents a day, you know, and it, <laughs> it just feels like they're so exploited. And then he looks further down the bank, and he sees another group of children with their hands, their heads in their hands, looking enviously at those children who are working. And he realizes that he's been pitying those children and feeling that they're unlucky. And those kids are thinking they're lucky. So who's lucky in this? And he realized Mm -hmm. I'm the luckiest person because I have enough money to pay these kids for a month, you know? So Mm -hmm. luck is very subjective and you can feel lucky no matter what is going on in your life. And we have one, that's one of the secrets. And it's really important to distinguish though, that it is not the kind of thing where we're saying, Oh, just, count your blessings. And even if you feel bad, you should look for the silver lining. It's a little more nuanced than that. You have to be authentic about Mm -hmm. how you feel about something and not push it down, but you also not to suppress it. But once you've felt your feelings for a minute, two minutes, five minutes, then to ask yourself, uh, use this practice of radical gratitude to ask yourself, is there something that I could be grateful for here, just in the spirit of gentle inquiry, could I be, is there anything here to be grateful for? And even just that question will loosen the grip of that victimhood on you and allow you to find maybe even one small thing that could allow you to feel a little luckier than you might feel otherwise. That's true. Very true. It's mindset, just switch mindset, so to speak. Very, very true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, and Google Play. My guests for this morning are Gay Hendricks and Carol Klein. Gay has served for more than 40 years as one of the major contributors to the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind therapies. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and his books include Conscious Loving and The Big Leap. Carol has developed her career in teaching, writing, and speaking about consciousness and personal growth. She is the number one New York Times best-selling co-author of Happy for No Reason, Love for No Reason, and five books in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. We're having a conversation about their remarkable life's journey and their soon-to-be-released insightful book, Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Okay, does faith contribute to being lucky? I believe so, yes, because, well, you know, I was raised in a Christian household and uh, down in the deep south, and so that was one version of faith I learned. And then uh, as I began to do things in life like meditate and that kind of thing, I felt a different kind of faith. And I, I think, though, that the, the, the deepest kind of faith can really give you a kind of stillness inside from which you can constantly reinvent yourself to adapt to the current circumstances of your life. And so I think that kind of faith really sustains me, I know, that down inside of us there's a place of, of pure consciousness that, whether you call it soul or spirit or whatever, it, it doesn't matter the language, but it's that place that you feel most yourself and most connected to other people and most connected to the world around you. And that, to me, to be able to be in life in that space is one of the great gifts of life, in my opinion. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. How about you, Carol? Well, I was thinking about what Gay was saying and what you're saying. I think that it's very important for people to understand 
that this spirituality, this feeling of being connected to a larger scope, to a larger Mm -hmm. energy, to something that is bigger than yourself is really important for true luck. Because I'm not talking about luck in the, you know, getting the car. I mean, we talked about Mm -hmm. that. Or, you know, winning at the roulette table. This is about luck in a bigger sense, about you having a life that's abundant in love, in, in meaning, in purpose. And I think that to have this grounding in something that makes you even want that, to be about something bigger than yourself, is going to create more luck in your life. It's what we call the universe winking at you. When you put mm-hmm. yourself in the, in the role where you are furthering the work of the universe, where you are about helping the universe expand and be benevolent, then that benevolent universe comes back and says, hey, what can I do for you? <laughs> that is a really beautiful way. It's like a cosmic quid pro quo, you know? Right. We have some great right. examples of that in the book of these wonderful universal winks. So true. So true. One of the things that I got from the book, and this is the irony of it, because we grew up, of course, from different cultures and different parts of the world. I know one of the things that we talk about faith and so forth. My mom always reminded me from the analogy of the milk. And of course, we get fresh milk in Malaysia. Of course, these days when you talk to the kids, the young adults, they have no idea what the heck you're talking about. But back then, if you let a glass of fresh milk or bottle of fresh milk just just sit down, eventually the cream always rises to the top. To me, it Mm. reminded me a lot about what you guys were talking about. We're born lucky. It doesn't matter how you shake it any way you want, how you go through the turmoils of life. But if you sit still and sort of regroup, things will just happen and you can realize how lucky you are. Yeah, I recommend doing a luck inventory every evening before you go to bed. And Mm. it's very similar to gratitude. But where, you know, the more you put your attention on how lucky you are, the more luck you're going to see and feel because you're actually changing how your brain, you're looking for luck. And when you look Mm -hmm. for luck, your brain will actually give you more perception of lucky opportunities. So true. Yeah, I think the... uh the really big point that Carol and I want to get uh, get through this book is that you really can take charge of your life. You actually can shape the direction of your life by beginning inside with a new commitment to being luckier and then following it up with some really simple steps. A friend of mine who wanted to get in shape, he was 30 pounds overweight, um, but he hated exercising, and so he made this deal with himself that he would do one chin-up a day for the first week at the gym, and then the second week he would double that and do two chin-ups a week. And so he got through the first two weeks, and then he set another goal of doing four chin-ups. And so another couple of weeks went by, and he got to four chin-ups. And pretty soon he had doubled up, so by the end of the year, he was doing 50 to 60 chin-ups a day with no sweat. And along the way, he let go of his 30 pounds. And so... I think that just in a few minutes a day, just by a little bit of attention to ourselves, we can create these big results. We don't have to run off to a cave and meditate in Tibet or anything like that. It's just beginning <laughs> with some simple mental steps and then letting them move out from there in your life. Mm-hmm. So true. Where can someone go to get more information about you two, Conscious Luck, and keep up with your latest happenings? So... 
ConsciousLuck.com is Conscious Luck Central for us. You want to go here, anything that we think you can get, the wonderful tool that you uh, mentioned earlier, uh, Johnny, the self-assessment and focus guide for where you need to, where are you on the luck spectrum and what you need to focus on. It's ConsciousLuck.com. We also have two Conscious Luck meditations, one for the morning and one for bedtime that will help accelerate that Conscious Luck journey. They're on the website. And um, my website is carolkline.com. And Gay, you can tell him, uh, tell our the listeners, Johnny's listeners, how they can find more about you. Yes, well, the the best way is just to go to hendricks.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com, and there you can uh, find a jumping-off place whether you want to learn about our trainings or our books or about our nonprofit foundation. Uh, all the information is there at hendricks.com. Fantastic. By the way, just a quick reminder for everyone, the book is officially released next Tuesday, May 12th. And I do encourage everyone to go to ConsciousLuck.com and download the self-assessment and focus guide. It really helps quite a bit to establish the baseline, and it helps you to know where you are. Exactly. That is such a, you know, it's wonderful. There's an analogy. If you went to a mall and you wanted to go to Macy's or whatever, at this point, malls are (laughs) falling apart. (laughs) Let's just, you know, the analogy. You would look at from where the mall is, and you'd also look to see that little dot, the you are here dot. If you want to get somewhere, you need to know where you are before you can figure out how to get there. So it's really important for you to understand what, you know, where are your weak spots. We have four foundational secrets we recommend that you really change a sort of mindset and core shift about luck. And then there are four daily practices, and you'll get a sense of which of these, you know, muscles are need to be strengthened the most. Beautiful, beautiful. Do you have any advice for someone who is a skeptic that believes our luck is at the mercy of God's will? Gay, Carol, whoever wants to take this. Sure. Well, first of all, I think we need to honor ourselves for any opinion or or opinion or notion we have about the world or philosophy we have about the world because there's always some good reason it was there. Um, But in human life, adult life needs to keep thriving and growing and changing just as every other area of life. You need to adapt to new circumstances of life. So I think you take your basic feelings and fundamental feelings about life and then amplify them by trying out new things. And it certainly won't interfere with your um, perceptions in life if you begin to gradually think of yourself as a luckier and luckier person. Uh, Because just like my hair, for some reason, started turning from brown to gray when I was about 40 years old. And uh, then it seemed to accelerate when I was 50 or so. And so I didn't take that personally, though, because just about everybody else was in the same boat. Well, in the same way, human life has to mature and change and, and grow as we become wiser and older. So um, it's, uh, I think, important. Uh, we, we say, Katie and I say in our seminars that every breath you take after the age of 40 is a choice between creativity or stagnation. And so I always hmm. want people to take breaths that fill them with creativity and zest for life. Beautiful, beautifully put. How about you, Carol? You know, it's a really interesting thing. Luck, when you believe you're at the, you know, that luck is not in your ability to make it, that is the that is the one thing where I feel you're going to cheat yourself of some things because mm-hmm. it really is 
you know, there's a beautiful quote I'm going to say from Rabindranath Tagore, and it sort of puts you in a more spiritual way with it, and it, with luck. And that is that the winds of grace are always blowing. It's you that must raise your sail. So it's, you know, God says he helps those that help themselves, that your luck, that you can do things and God will support. And God's will for you to be lucky is maybe you to find out, read this book and find out how to be more lucky <laughs> so he can support you in being lucky. I think that you have a bit, that God's will and your will can be very aligned in this way and that you can do a lot more for the people around you in this world if you are not constantly in a place where you are struggling. So your, your, your concern, your ability, your circle of influence can grow and you can be a lot more effective in any work, whether it's God's work and you, you think everything you do is God's work, then everything you do, if you could open yourself up to the possibility that that grace is available for you to harness at any moment. So true. Very true. So what's next for you too? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Um, well, I'm also a, a mystery novelist, so I have a mystery novel that I'm working on now. I've published one series about a Tibetan Buddhist private detective named Tenzing Norbu, and now I'm working on a series about a, a Victorian-era dandy named Sir Errol Hyde. He's kind of a humorous um, cross-town competitor to Sherlock Holmes, and so we're, uh, I'll be going back to working on my Sir Errol novel. Very interesting. Kara, are you involved with that? <laughs> no, but I actually, whenever I, Gay and I would sometimes meet during the, the writing of Conscious Luck, and he would be working mm-hmm. on his novel, and he would read me some of the stuff he'd written, and I would just be the most rapt audience. I am a huge <laughs> Sir Errol fan, and I can tell you, it's a great novel series, and the, the voice, I don't know where Gay goes, but he is channeling <laughs> some amazing guy. For me, I'm going to be actually uh, taking our Conscious Luck material with Gay mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. creating a, an e-course, uh, uh, something that people can take to further, and it'll have some different stories and maybe some things we've found out along the way, and I think it'll be another iteration of how to become more consciously lucky. And my long-term goal is I would like to very much write a screenplay, a historical fiction about the Belle Epoque in the mm-hmm. late 1890s in Paris. So that's my next fiction, <laughs> my first fiction foray. Fantastic. That's really beautiful. By the way, either one of you guys, please mention about your community as well, because I know that's on your website. Yes, we were going to have, uh, you know, the Conscious Luck community will be global and virtual, and that's pretty much what mm-hmm. everybody's doing right now. And we'll have a Facebook page. There will be um, other things. Just check back to ConsciousLuck.com, and we'll have a bunch of stuff there. We're going to have a Conscious Luck survey, and we'll also be you know, making sure people know about the latest and greatest research and articles and things that we will be producing and also combing the internets to put up for them. Fantastic. We're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you two like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Gay, would you like to start first? Yes, I'll tell you three simple words that we have. Um, at our seminars, you can get a, a little uh, silicon wristband that has three words on it. And it says, breathe, move, love. And what we mean by that, some of the things we teach in our seminars 
uh, is to use your natural body wisdom, your breath as of your best friend. You know, when you get stuck, take a few big deep breaths and liberate yourself. And the move part is that life is about movement. And so remember to move, make changes in your life, do something creative, go down the different path to work someday, you know, do something different. Brush your teeth with your alternate hand one day. Just shake yourself up. Keep learning. Keep growing. So that's what we mean by move. And then love means, of course, that there's part of ourselves that can only be healed with love. We can only love another person to the extent that we unconditionally love ourselves. And so if we can remember those three simple things, breathe, move, love as you move through life, that keeps you free and easy and able to make better decisions. Wonderful. Carol? My three, I have three words, and they are gratitude, growth, and giving. And I feel that those three things, and maybe a little touch of humor in there. I didn't know how to put that in a G. (laughs) (laughs) But those are the secrets. My recipe for living, if you have those three things, if you grow as a person every day, if you give and if you are grateful for what you have, you're going to have a fabulous life. Beautiful, beautiful, guys. Gay and Carol, thank you again for the great recipes for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in three weeks, Tuesday morning, May 28. My guests will be the New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Bernie Siegel, and his grandson, Charlie Siegel. Bernie, Charlie, and I will be having a conversation about their first collaborative book title, when you realize how perfect everything is, a conversation about life between grandfather and grandson. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Gay and Carol, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.